to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker joining me as we are headed to the playoffs very soon. Like it feels like we're we're on the cusp, and uh, these are the last fifteen to twelve ish games. Was well, anybody at anybody at seventy games played yet? I don't think so, but we're we're getting there. Once once you see that seven, that's when you start to go. Oh my! Oh yeah, L.A., L.A., Anaheim, Vegas—they're all at seventy games played. I knew I had seen it somewhere. Um, Justin, we are close. We are like now less than a month away from the playoffs. Dude, you know you're close when you start seeing people's uh, pie charts and graphs. When it's like, oh, this is what you know the the team's chances of making the playoffs, or just how many games till they're eliminated. And I love when I see that stuff. It's kind of cheesy, but, uh, you know, to me, it's just, it's like, you know, springtime, right? It's like when it rolls around, you know, it's here and well, at least you hope it's here anyways. Um, not here in Michigan, but, uh, yeah, when you see those charts pop up, you know, the playoffs are right around the corner. Yeah. In Michigan, all of spring means is that like the moon is changed or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's still cold. Uh, and I mean, in, in a lot of the, I'll say traditional hockey world. Uh, it's still it's still a, a tidbit nipply out right now. Uh, hopefully that changes by the time the playoffs actually get here. Hopefully with playoffs we're ushered in with beautiful weather. Uh, but with uh, with the playoffs so close, and you know the the Eastern Conference, it's uh, it's all it like it's decided. Uh, the New York Islanders are, are not going to make the playoffs. They're 13 points back of the Washington Capitals. It would take an absolute freaking miracle. Uh, not only do the Islanders need to win, gosh, out of their 15 games left, uh, they probably could lose two, maybe three games. Uh, and then Washington has 14 games left and, and, that would mean all that they need to do. If if the Islanders won all 15 games, that would put them at 101 points. And uh, that would mean that the Capitals needed to get 17 more out of a possible 28. So they barely even have to go 500 for the Islanders to mi- to miss the playoffs despite winning all the rest of their games. So uh, they're out. Uh, So the East is decided. So I I think maybe a little less crucial in terms of this conversation, but uh, there are teams in the West that are certainly still in it. I would say there's two teams that are fighting for four playoff spots. How about that Uh, in the West? And we are, we're kind of coming down to the wire here. And so we wanted to talk about, the players that we thought, okay, playoffs are coming. Uh, some teams are fighting for the playoffs. Who are the players that, for their respective teams, are most important for them to get going? And uh, and if they don't, their teams may be in trouble. Uh, either come playoff time, or you know, they're maybe they'll miss the playoffs if if that player doesn't get going, uh, or they're not going to do as well in the playoffs as they could. Uh, Justin, how did you how did you determine the order of your list? What what factors did you weigh the heaviest? Yeah, so uh, obviously I looked at all the playoff teams and uh, those four you mentioned that are fighting for the two remaining spots, and then 
really I just looked at, okay, if they got into the playoffs or if they're trying to make a push for maybe, you know, say they're trying to get out of a wild card spot, right? What, what players really are going to factor in, in my opinion, uh, to the success of the team? Obviously, we know a lot of, you know, players. There's, there's the superstars, right? You know, you're usually your top line top six or top six forward guys, your top pairing defenseman. But beyond that, to me, I tried to look at those guys that would impact the secondary success of the teams the most. And then I also factored in, obviously, you know, what, you know, position they played and how many minutes they usually see, and then tried to make a determination on how important I thought they would be to the team's overall success come playoff time. Yeah. I, I, I'd say, I mean, that's same exact mindset I had coming in. Uh, I, I only have two goalies out of my 10. Uh, that's because, I mean, you could make a list of 10 goalies, you know, and say, well, if this guy doesn't play well, then his team's screwed, uh, which is absolutely true. Uh, but I, I think that for the most part, we know, you know, we know the New York Rangers, Shesterkin, he's so important to their success, uh, but we're not looking at him as, boy, you better pick up your game. He's already he's the reason they're they're where they are. I mean, the Rangers have been on a on a little roll here too. So I mean, that that's not the kind of player that's popping on my list. It's the guy who uh, who maybe hasn't been playing well, and he's going to need to play well for his team to either make the playoffs or have success in it. Uh, okay, well let's just uh, let's let's get rolling down the down the list here. Then who do you have Beautiful. at number ten? Yeah, number 10 for me. I, You know what? It's funny. I just mentioned that I, I typically don't like to look at those. Well, I do like to look at those top six guys, but they don't factor in as much to this type of list. But however, uh, the first guy on my list at number 10, I couldn't help but put in. He plays top line minutes for the St. Louis Blues, and that's Ryan O'Reilly. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, and a lot of people might be sitting here wondering, like, dude, this guy's been playing great. He's, you know, he's a superstar. I mean, he's... He's the re- one of the reasons they won a cup a few years back. And so I, I kind of looked at that and I said, okay, listen, St. Louis has got very, very good balance as far as their forward group is concerned. Uh, Justin Falk, Tory Krug are playing great on the back end. Um, and I could pick apart the goaltending all day and they might or you know, may or may not pop up later on my list. However, um, when I look at Ryan O'Reilly and I go back to the year when they, when they won the cup here and he was basically putting up 77 points in 82 games, which is, you know, obviously a fantastic pace. However, when you look at the playoffs, I mean, he was just, he was a beast come playoff time. I mean, he just basically 23 points in 26 games, not to mention just everything else he does from faceoffs to, you know, his fantastic defensive play. But uh, to me, I, I think if this St. Louis team wants to push for, you know, maybe home ice advantage in the first round, maybe get that number two spot, uh, avoid falling into a wild card position here with Nashville and, Vegas and Dallas pushing. Um, to me, he is a guy that's got to step up the production a bit more. I need more out of Ryan O'Reilly from an offensive standpoint that I'm just not getting from years past. And I think maybe maybe it partially has to do with the fact that, you know, the rest of his team is playing so well. You know, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, these yeah. guys have finally stepped up. He's he's no he's no longer the I'll say the top dog on that team in terms of right. in terms of point production. Absolutely. But for me, though, if, if I think St. Louis is going to make a deep run and make a, a good push for a Stanley Cup here, he's got to be the guy, right? Those other young guns, they don't really have the experience. 
the veteran leadership that he does, and if you know St. Louis is going to have success, uh, you know, minus the goaltending issues back there, I think for him, you know, he's got to step it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think his uh, his fifteen goals is that's that's a little disappointing. I mean, granted, you know, he in what nineteen twenty he put up. It makes it sound like I'm I'm saying the year 1920. <laughs> he's ancient. He's been playing for over 100 years. Uh, Clearly, in the 2019-20 season, he only scored 12 goals in 71 games. Had 61 points. You know, a guy's an assist machine. But we are used to seeing him score generally at least 20 goals, which he's done uh, in most of his most of his seasons. Uh, since thirteen, fourteen, only two seasons, he's he's not scored twenty goals, uh, and that nineteen twenty season obviously cut a little short. He played more games than most. St. Louis play, actually played seventy one games that year. Uh, I feel like that's that's a lot more than some guy. You know, some guys were down in the sixties, and uh, so but to only score twelve goals that year, that's that's a down year. So fifteen and sixty three. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that by the time the season's over and, and they play, you know, St. Louis has another 15 games. I'm assuming that he's scoring five goals. That's, that's like relatively the pace that he's on. So he's had a 20 goal season. Uh, but yeah, he's just, he's not, uh, he's not been, had the offensive prowess like last year, he was a point per game and he's well under that at this point. So yeah, I I think that's, that's a a great point. Ryan O'Reilly, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, but how deep are they going to go? And, and you know, a guy like that, maybe he's just going, we're in the playoffs. I, I can't play the way I want to play in the playoffs all year long, you know? Sure. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, I don't have Ryan O'Reilly on my list, but I, I like it. Um, my number 10 is a, I have a couple, three times in my list. Uh, a double appears like two players on one line on one team or something like that, where uh, both players successes are, are going to, to play a huge factor um, for the Dallas stars. I like their, I like their odds because of how many games in hand they have. They've been playing fine down the stretch. Uh, 79 points or one point back of Vegas with four games in hand. Uh, but, Regardless, the two guys making the most money, uh, I I know that we're not in this place where we need them to be the top guys in Dallas. They they aren't anymore, and Dallas's success is not being driven by them. Uh, and I think that that's fine. You know, re- relying more on uh, on a, a Rupe Hints and Jason Robertson. Those guys have, I mean, not come out of nowhere, but they are they are now they are the top guys in Dallas, but I think in order for Dallas to make a legitimate run, uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben need to be better than like what I equate to. And eh, you guys are putting up like really good third line numbers. Like probably by the end of the season, they both have maybe like forty five, maybe fifty points. Uh, so they're like a decent second line, but they just. I, I want to see, I, I think that most teams have, most really good teams basically have two good first lines, right? Like their top two lines are relatively interchangeable in terms of their production. And 
Dallas's production drops way off once you get down to to Ben and Sagan. And so I I think even if they're maybe they've they've kind of hit their wall and they're neither one of them is going to be what they have been in the past. I think they've got to figure it out for one more playoff run for this uh, this club. So I've got them at number ten. Yeah, I don't hate it. I mean, I've got Tyler Sagan on my list. He's uh, a little further up at number eight, but I I absolutely agree with you. I think Tyler Sagan is a guy, especially at that cap hit. Uh, he's only thirty opera- years old. He's not, like right. this isn't the season where it's supposed to all fall apart. Yeah, and you look at a guy on that top line with Rupe Hintz and uh, you know Jason Robertson. You look at old man Jopa. You're yeah. like, what the frick has he been doing? Like. Man's only been just driving a point per game and just really leading the production from this Dallas Stars team. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure a guy like Tyler Sagan, again, who's only 30 years old, has to look at that and say, okay, cool, well, if he can do it, I am I can surely do it. And who knows, maybe it's a mental thing, right? Maybe he just literally, you know, started off on a slump and just really couldn't get it going. Um, but this is a guy who typically we're, we're talking about a perennial 30-goal scorer. And, you know, last year, obviously, he dealt with injury. Uh, the year before that, you know, COVID, but he still had decent production, albeit not scoring as many goals. But still, prior to that, I mean, he was he was lighting the lamp. So he's not that far removed. And, you know, yes, he'll have a 20-goal season. But, you know, maybe, again, maybe this could be a slump year. Um, you know, maybe just because, again, because of the emergence of Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz, you know, his minutes have kind of suffered because of it. But, uh, you know, all in all, I mean, you look at the the amount of shots he's put in. I mean, look, when he was – you know, putting up 30 goals, you know, a few years back, he had well over 300 shots and he's barely halfway there to what he, he's actually at the exact halfway point as far as shots when he put up 33 goals in 18, 19. So again, you, you can see where it's coming from. He's just not shooting enough. And I want to see more from Jamie Ben or from Tyler Sagan. Both. <laughs> yeah, both. Right. <laughs> um, and Jamie Ben, I mean, he, there's, there's another guy who, he should be able to shine during playoff time. I get maybe you you're, you can't play the way that you you would like to play all year round, but this is playoff mode. It's time to go. Like uh, if Dallas misses the playoffs, that's a huge failure uh, for what they've decided to invest into this season and not trading John Klingberg alone. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I think that it's it's crucial both those guys get going. Uh, they have to make the playoffs, and unfortunately, it, it's likely going to come at Vegas's expense. Which I know, yeah. I know. Uh, somewhere inside of me, I I really like it because I mean, and I think a lot of people are rooting against Vegas because of just like the intentional, uh, like yeah, it's just an, a very intentional trying to skirt the the rules a little bit, trying to bend the rules uh, of the of the salary cap. Not like like Tampa did it, but it didn't feel like they were doing it because you're like, Oh man, Kucherov's out for the year. Oh man. Well, they have to get someone else in there. So they, so they did and it didn't seem that bad. Uh, and then it was just kind of like, well, wow, you guys are so far over the cap now. Oh, that's kind of cheap, but I, I get it. Whereas Vegas is like, Oh, we'll just put this guy on LTI. Hey, you got a, you got a bad back. Um, so why not just not play the, play the rest of the season. We'll go get someone else who's really expensive. Like Tampa was Tampa just, you know, patched their lineup together. And yeah, when he came back, they were above the cap, but Vegas was like, yeah, let's go get a superstar instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, I mean, uh, I, I, I admire their guts, like just, okay, this is the rules and they're right. That's the rules. So they're just doing what they're allowed to do. Uh, the same way that, Hey, yes, there's a cap, but you know what? Do you think the Arizona coyotes spend as much as the Montreal Canadians on scouting and on, on analytics? Hell no. So, I mean, that's not fair. You could say, well, that some teams have a financial uh, monstrous advantage to be able to, you know, do the background stuff more efficiently or with with more eyes and ears. But that's the reality. So uh, there there are just times when it's not always going to be perfectly fair. Uh, okay, let's go to number nine. Who's who do you get at number nine? I've got. Tyson Berry from the Edmonton Oilers. You know what? I thought about putting him on my list, and I didn't. I don't even have an Oiler on my list. Oh, no, I do. Oh, I, I lied. I, do. I, I do. was going to say, for shame. Uh, I thought you said horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> I might as horse well have. Horse shit. Oh, God, sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Your list is horse shit. Just throw it out now. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so Tyson Berry, I mean, listen. This is a guy who who was brought into Edmonton after, you know, great seasons in Colorado and Toronto, um, you know, came out of the gate putting up 48 points in 56 games. And you, you think, okay, cool. They signed him to a one year on the cheap kind of deal, because again, this was like a, you know, make it or break it kind of contract for him. And he had great success at Edmonton. It looked like he was just going to be a really, really good fit. Um, so of course they give him an extension, you know, three years, $4.5 million, which is, you know, good money for a second line guy, but he, I mean, listen, he is the top dog in Edmonton. As far as deep, you know, offense is concerned. He's got to be the guy that puts up that offensive production from the back end. I mean, he gets to play top line minutes. He plays on the first power play unit, which, you know, at the beginning of the year seemed like it was clicking at 50% for months. I mean, we, you know, we had Wayne Gretzky on TNT saying it's the best power play that's ever been out there. And, uh, you know, well that, that blew up really fast, but, uh, you know, regardless, I mean, this guy is basically given the keys to the offensive kingdom on the back end. And uh, of his 32 points, 17 have come on the power play. So really only 15 five-on-five five, or 15 five-on-five five points for this guy. Um, not good enough for me. I mean, I, I need more out of Tyson Berry, especially when you look at a team that basically goes through Dreisaitl and McDavid and everybody else is kind of uh, doing okay. Ryan, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has, has been playing great. I, I'm not going to give him any any fault, but uh, everybody else has been suspect. And, you know, again, if this team wants to have any sort of success, especially with that goaltending back there, and they may pop up later on my list as well, um, you know, this back end's got to produce a little bit more or else they're going to sink really, really fast with no depth scoring. Yeah, I mean, he's at 50% production uh, less than last year. Uh well, I guess he had 50% more production last year um, there you at go. this time. So 48 points to his 32 right now. Uh, yeah, just, just not not quite putting up the numbers. Uh, I I don't know. You know, at the end of the season, he's gonna, he'll have around 40, 45 points. And, uh, yeah, that, that might... It's it's not good enough for what they were expecting because he's you know he's putting up forty eight in fifty six he put up, I mean but the year before he's putting up thirty nine and seventy 
but he really struggled early on with uh, Mike Babcock. Uh, so that that you could kind of write off the two years before that he's putting up almost sixty points in fewer than eighty two games. So yeah, I mean I think you are you're hoping that he can figure this out. I think that's a that's a great eye, uh, Tyson Berry. If if you're listening, it's time to get going. All right. Yeah, and we know this is a guy that isn't going to be great defensively, right? That's not his mo. That's not why he was brought in there. Um, they've got other guys that they're hoping can fill in on the defensive back end to cover up for his offensive abilities, right? I mean, that's what he was brought in there to do. He was brought in to be an offensive guy for their back end because, frankly, they don't have a lot at that, you know, on the back end. So uh, Duncan Keith certainly isn't going to lead your top power play unit, and uh, he's not the same guy he was. So Tyson Berry has got to be the guy if this Edmonton team wants to go far in the playoffs. Yeah, I I don't disagree. And, you know, the the other side of it is that his – his PDO is very high, 103.1. So, I mean, the shooting percentage on ice is 12.1%. Save percentage is 91% five on five. I mean, that's he's he's got some, like, the underlying numbers should be favoring him to uh, be putting up more points than he is. Uh, I mean, possession numbers are are down from last year, but they're still really good. Still in the fifth, in the 56 range. Uh, I, I mean, you kind of look at it and you go, you know, what's, what's going on different than last year. He is taking uh, there. He's taking more draws in the defensive zone than he has since 15. It's the 2015, 16 season. Um, albeit not by a, a br- like a crazy margin, but, uh, that could play a small factor. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing it. Guys hit 30 years old, and that's kind of the beginning, not like not necessarily the beginning of the end, but it is a shift. A lot of guys just can't put up those points. Um, they slow down. <laughs> you hit that wall, and, and things just start to slow down. And I think that they have to change their training going into that point, you know, like sometimes you see that resurgence, they have a down year and then they, uh, then they're able to kind of tack on a couple more years later on because they, they figure out what they need to do either that, or they just fall off the map and, uh, they're gone out of the league pretty quick. So we'll see with Tyson Berry, but I think you're right for a long playoff run. If he's not putting up pretty good numbers, it probably means the Oilers aren't scoring that much. And, uh, and he, <laughs> yeah, to get moving. All right. Uh, my number nine, uh, I actually have a rookie at my number nine and uh, I've got Quentin Byfield for the LA Kings. Okay. I actually put him on my just missed list. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page there then. I mean, I look, he, you know, he misses the beginning of the year, uh, because of that injury. He's got eight points in 30 games now. Uh, He's not, he, it's not like he's getting uh, 18, 19 minutes of ice time, but I mean, he's getting his last five games, he's averaging about, you know, four, 15 minutes a game almost. So he's out there, he's playing. He's, uh, he only has one goal in his last five games. Uh, I think you want to see him take some strides. Uh, and if he can, you know, these last 20 games, I, I think for a guy who's 19 years old, um, there isn't necessarily pressure for him to be really good. 
Like he doesn't need to be good. It's not his fault if he's not all like necessarily super ready to go in and, and be a top line player. That's not what I'm suggesting, but I am suggesting that the LA Kings would love. And I think if they're going to go on a run, then he may be the key to like, Hey, I'm, I figured it out right at the perfect time. And now suddenly we have three good lines and, uh, and Quentin Byfield's driving that other line. So that, I mean, and a six foot five two twenty, like he just, he sounds like a playoff guy. He sounds like somebody you don't want to go up against in the playoffs. Um, if he's, uh, if he's healthy enough and, and feels good enough to use his body in the, in the playoffs, that'll be, you know, that remains to be seen. But, uh, I think he'd be an important guy for the Kings. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, right? You look at Tampa Bay, for example, last two cup winners, right? They had great success because they had a third line that contributed. And if L- L.A. wants to have success, right, that's the reason they brought in Philip Deneau was so there was no pressure on Quentin Byfield to develop quickly and be that top six guy immediately. So now you have an opportunity for Quentin Byfield to really, I mean, look, he can he doesn't have to rush his development, but still he has to contribute, right? I mean, that's that's going to be key to, to LA success. And so you still need to go out there and put up some points and granted, he's not getting top power play minutes. He's not getting, you know, any kind of special teams looks, but still he's, he's playing on a good LA team that, you know, basically has a good back end. So he doesn't have to worry about playing too good defensively. Uh, he can go out there and focus on just developing the offensive side of his game first and then really work on the defensive game a little bit later. I mean, and he's he his possession numbers are all in the positive, uh, so he's playing well enough to where when he's on the ice, uh, they've got the puck more often than they than they don't. And his PDO is actually only a ninety eight seven, which it's because of the on ice shooting percentage. It's only seven point six percent, so that's low. Uh, and you know, you you're likely you're uh, maybe you'll get a little a little more luck. <laughs> come come playoff time and down the stretch here. Uh, I mean, him personally, he's shooting what sixteen percent. Yeah, sixteen percent. So it's not as if his shooting percentage is low, uh, but only thirty one shots in thirty games. Uh, I think that that's something that you you hope as an L.A. Kings fan. I mean, he's got three of the last five games. He has had no shots on goal. Um, and that's just not going to, that's, that's not going to do much for you. So I think him getting the puck in shooting position is going to be, uh, big for LA. Uh, now is LA requiring him to be good? No, but I do think that if LA is going to, oh, let's say beat the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, who, even though maybe they haven't had the greatest regular season, I do think that the Oilers are a better team than the Kings. Like I'll take the Oilers over the Kings in the playoffs because of what the Oilers have to do. They have to win that series. Uh, but I think if the Kings can get that third line going, then they're they are going to be maybe clicking on the right at the right time uh, going into the playoffs. Uh, who's your number eight? Yeah, number eight, I mentioned a little earlier, Tyler Sagan. Not going to oh, beat right. that drum, yeah. but uh, yeah, he needs to pick it up. <laughs> okay, my number eight is 
not someone that necessarily you're looking to put up huge points, but I think it will be a very important part of the Boston Bruins come playoff time. Uh, a guy they signed in the offseason and uh, hasn't really had a good regular season at all, only 11 points, only two goals in 49 games, and that is Nick Foligno. Ooh. Yeah, Nick Foligno. I mean, I hey, I know he... he uh, wasn't a world beater when he left Columbus, but he signed a, a good deal, almost four million bucks a year. Uh, so he's expected to, to do something for the Bruins. Maybe that's not put up huge points, but at a also at a minus ten, like there, there's some some factors. You look at his underlying numbers and you go, all right, we we'd really like to see you play better. And I mean, they did, they brought him in because they thought, Hey, Felino can be a guy who plays on our third line come playoff time. And he can drive that physical play. Uh, he has gotten very unlucky. His PDO is only 95.5. Uh, and his possession numbers are, are good at 55%, but uh, just not really putting up the numbers uh, in terms of offense. And, but you need him to be, I think, a little better than he has been in terms of point production. But he needs to be your like a, a a juggernaut in the playoffs for the Bruins because no longer having Krejci, uh, I I mean having Hampus Lindholm certainly helps now. Uh, but you know, I I look at some like a Taylor Hall. He hasn't exactly been uh, had a lot of well. He hasn't had a lot of. Uh, playoff anything because he's only been the playoffs a few what three times in his whole career uh had five points in 11 games last season and in general you know I, I think he maybe is a more likely candidate to disappear come playoff time because of the way he plays uh, especially now as he's slowed down. So, I, I mean, I think that Nick Felino is a really important piece that maybe people aren't looking at on the Bruins uh, to see as a difference maker. But come playoff time, that's the exact guy that you want uh, to to kind of unfold come playoff time. Uh, for Toronto, he was hurt and just never really got it to put it together. But I think that he could be a solid piece for the Bruins come uh, the postseason. Yeah, I don't think Felino was brought in to be right the offensive juggernaut. Um, sure, no. I don't think they. Yeah, they definitely didn't expect him to put up forty or fifty points. However, you know, you'd still like to get thirty points out of this guy. He brings a lot of a lot of you know defensive and you know two way intangibles that I think are are extremely valuable come playoff time, like you mentioned. Um, you know, but last night I was watching Boston actually, and that that Frederick Coyle and now Mark McLaughlin scoring his first goal last night. He looks like he could be um, could be a depth guy that could play an important role for this team now after leaving college. So maybe maybe Felino doesn't get to see that many minutes now if he doesn't step it up right down the stretch here. He may he may be relegated to fourth line minutes. So better step it up, dude. There you go. All right, number seven. Who do you have? I've got a guy who's coming off the IR today. I know I mentioned I wouldn't put anybody on IR. Um, you know, on this list, but what I will say is that's true. You I don't know say if, that you lie. Yeah. Son of a- well, now he's not. So technically I'm not lying anymore. Um, but what I will say is this guy is going to be very, very important to the success, especially now that Peter Morazic is out for the year. Um, Jack Campbell is a guy that 
needs to find his game to me at number seven here, uh, has to step it up because if this Toronto team, obviously they're going to make the playoffs, but if this Toronto team wants to have any long-term success in the playoff and go past the first round for once, they need this guy to step up and not necessarily be the guy he was in November, but he needs to be, you know, that 9, 10, 9, 15 save percentage type goaltender for this team so they don't have to sit there and worry crap, are we going to, you know, if we give up a, a two-on-one going the other way, are we we screwed automatically? I mean, percentages do favor two-on-ones, but still, you need him to stop a few of those, right? And um, when I look at Jack Campbell prior to him going out on IR, um, and yes, he, he also took that that week off to, to reset mentally, but from March 8th, or from January 1st to March 8th, playing 17 games, nine of those, he allowed four or five or yeah. more goals. Yeah, it was a rough and, stretch. Right. And so you need that guy pre-2022 who was playing, you know, again, decently in, in December, November. You need pretty much close I mean, to that if you're going to have I mean, we success. were talking about him for the Vesna Trophy right. early on. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think they need they need that guy. However, if you can get that guy, I think the Leafs go from being a uh, in the pack of hey they could win the cup sure like I, I don't think that it, it's a uh, out of the realm of possibility that the Leafs win the cup but I think that a lot of things have to go right uh, but if they were getting Vesna caliber goaltending suddenly I mean you look at what it's done for the New York Rangers and I don't think that we like in terms of the the rest of the construction of the the offensive abilities of the Leafs versus the Rangers uh you know, I'm I'm putting the Leafs ahead, and if the Leafs were getting Shesterkin style goaltending, they'd probably have 110 points. <laughs> they'd probably be at the top of that conference right now. <laughs> I, yeah, they would. They would yeah. be definitely atop the league if they were getting that kind of goaltending. But they don't need that kind of goaltending. But I think they're going to need they're going to need better than average goal. Like you, you don't win in the playoffs and have below average goaltending. It just doesn't happen. Right, especially considering the teams they have to go up, right? Florida Panthers, right? There's one team you're going to have to probably go through. They literally, I mean, they just had the third star of the month there and Sergey Bobrovsky putting up great numbers. He's looked fantastic all year. Yep. You know, Vasilevsky in Tampa, we know what he's he's capable of. And looks like Swayman and Allmark are looking, I mean, they look like they're pretty good. And you've so, got Trist, Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh, Shesterkin in New York, and then Freddie Anderson going in Carolina. So, they're, right. they're the only team in the Eastern Conference uh, outside of Toronto who you, you kind of look at their goaltending and scratch your head is Washington. And uh, I I don't, you know, I thought about putting Alex Ovechkin on this list just because it was like the only way the, the Capitals are going to, to win is if <laughs> Alex Ovechkin is, plays outside his mind. But then every time I look at his stats, I say he is playing outside his mind already. <laughs> he's still rolling. Right. You know, you go, is he slowing down at all? No. <laughs> so they, yeah, I mean the, the, the capitals, uh, I mean, there's a reason why they didn't go out and do too much craziness at the deadline. I, I think they recognize that this iteration of the capitals, uh, they're going to let them do their best, but they're likely not going to go far in the playoffs, having to play either Florida or Carolina in the first round. Yep. Um, okay, my number seven is a Pittsburgh Penguin, Kasperi Kapanen. Um, I know Ooh. that they went out 
and they bring in Ricard Raquel essentially to to like pick up the slack for what they are not getting with Kasperi Kapanen, uh, who at the same he he has the same exact stat line as last year. Six this year, sixty seven games, eleven goals, nineteen assists for thirty points. Last year, in forty games, had the same thirty points and eleven goals. So he's far off his production this year. Uh, the The underlying numbers, uh, they're they're not uh, they're not really bad. In my opinion, he just really hasn't got like he's kind of gotten unlucky in some ways because his in terms of his possession, uh, it's far it's actually quite a bit better than last year, and he's playing more in the defensive zone. Uh, 40% instead of 30% for his face-off. So, I mean, some of those numbers, they're, they're just kind of, you know, it's easy to look at the point production, but he's not playing terribly uh, elsewhere. It's not as if, if everything's fallen off. So uh, I chalk it up to, you know, this is someone who needs to maybe focus a little more on, all right, like I need to, I need to score goals. I need to put up points and his his shooting percentage is down 7% from last year. He was at 16.2. This year he's at 9. So uh, that is not going to help you either. Uh, but I I just I think Kasperi Kapanen is one of those guys, again, that and do the Penguins need him to be great? No, they went out and got Ricard Raquel just in case. But if he can figure it out, the Pittsburgh Penguins are – incredibly dangerous because that means that your third line is now uh, I mean if if your third line is a really good Kasperi Kapanen down there especially with injuries if he can slide up in the lineup which we know he can play anywhere in that lineup uh, I think the Bruins or the the Penguins have a legitimate chance of not just beating the Rangers but of getting out of the Metro but I think that they need guys like Kasperi Kapanen to, uh, to be at their best. Yeah, I mean, we know what Crosby and Malkin are going to do, right? And Sure, exactly. So they've, got, they've got those guys, so you need, you know, if for any reason those guys sort of go on a quote-unquote dry spell, you need guys like Kasperi Kapanen to step it up. That's right. All right, who's he? Uh, well, here, I'll, I'll tell you my number six. My number six is Alex Lafreniere. Let's go, Ooh. bro. Let's go. I love it. I love it. I've got him on my list, too, but a little further up, so... We'll talk later. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll 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 touch on him more when uh, when we see how high he gets. Um, who's your number five? My well, my number six first. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So my number six um, is I, I I kind of stole what you did and with the Tyler Sagan Jamie Ben thing. I've got uh, yeah, okay. uh, Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and let me reference that I, I made this list prior to last night's game with Tampa where that third line was, was looking really, really good. Um, so for me, you know, Brandon Hagel, first six games, only one goal. Nick Paul, first six games with the team, only one goal. Um, this, again, is is a team, you know, minus last night's game for them. You know, Nick Paul and, and, and company, they put up some good numbers on that third line. But, um, you know, if Tampa Bay wants to recreate their success in their playoff run, Brandon Hagel's got to be a guy for them, right? Him and Nick Paul both have to – step it up quote unquote you know on, on both ends of the ice and Nick Paul is gonna is gonna be great defensively I think there's there's no doubt in my mind he's gonna be able to put up that good two-way game but 
Uh, I need both these guys to really step it up offensively. And, you know, again, Nick Paul wasn't brought in necessarily to bring those offensive numbers, but uh, Brandon Hagel definitely was. I mean, with in 55 games in Chicago this year, 21 goals, 37 points. I mean, yes, he was shooting at a ridiculously high 22% shooting percentage, but um, I still think there's, you know, even if you get a fraction of that, you're still going to get some good offensive production, and he's going to get opportunities to play on that second power play unit and get some some good ice time with some quality players. Okay, yeah, I like, I mean, I think there's a theme that third-line players become important come playoff time. <laughs> that I mean, every team, honestly, every team has a really good first line. There, there isn't a playoff team out there that you go, mm, yeah, no off, no, no good first line. There's no one good on that first line. Not, not a one. Even the teams you would say offensively, they're not quite as good. The New York Rangers. Oh, well, I mean, they've got one of the highest goal scorers in the league in Chris Kreider. They've got Artemi Panarin. Like they have a good top line. Mika Zibanejad. Uh, the Boston Bruins. They, they haven't scored a whole lot this year either. And yet their top line, I mean, it's they're and like the guys that they can roll out there uh, are still terrifying. <laughs> right. So, so the the top end of every team is pretty good. I mean, that just they're really maybe the one team that you could point to and say uh, that they don't have the same flash of a top line. Maybe is Minnesota. Like, yes, they have Kaprizov, but outside of Kaprizov, I, I don't know that I would. Uh, go so far as to say to say that their top line is scary from you know from just like a hey I'm a pure skill point of view. Um, Zuccarello does does he really scare me? No. Um, Kevin Fiala, I suppose he does, but uh, but just not the same, not to the same extent as like hey I'm rolling out Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, or <laughs> you know, or hey I, I'm. Rolling out Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, like the there's just a different a different level of that. Um, I think especially in the East, though, you you've got unbelievable top end talent on all these teams. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. We're on number five, right? Number five. Let's number do five. it. Number uh, five. I have someone that was traded at the deadline, who I think will be a very important player for one of the top teams in the East come playoff time. And that's Max Domi. Ooh. He has actually played sneaky good for them so far. He only has three assists in five games, I think. Five. Is that how many he's played so far for them? Uh, I think so. Yeah, five games. Uh, he's only averaged 11 minutes a game so far with them. So, uh, you know, I think there's, I'm sure, Rod Brindamore, we know his style. He's a little more hard-nosed. He's going to make you earn it. So it's not surprising that maybe he's not getting huge minutes right away because he's looking to figure out, A, how Max Domi fits into the team, and also he wants Max Domi to be able to play a certain way. Uh, I mean, this Max Domi is not the 2018-19 Domi that had 72 points. I think we now all understand that that was a giant anomaly. Uh, He's not a 72-point guy. Uh, I think he's probably more like a 50-point guy if if things are going well for him and he's not playing for John Tortorella. So... (laughs) Uh, with that said, you look at his underlying number. I mean, he's his possession numbers are 
higher in these five games than they have been anywhere else his whole career. Uh, a 66.7 Corsi, which is just lights out. Uh, he's pl- actually playing more in the defensive zone than he is in the offensive zone for, for zone starts for the first time in his whole career. Uh, so when you consider those things, you're playing more in the you're starting more in the defensive zone, but your possession numbers are higher than they ever have been. Um, that's a good place to be. So uh, I think you'll we'll see him. You know his shooting percentages right now for Carolina is zero. <laughs> so that'll obviously <laughs> that'll go up. Um, only eight shots on goal through five games, uh, which is low for him. Like in Columbus, he was generally putting up three shots a game. And here he's putting up naughty about 1.5. So the double the, or he's down 50% in terms of that production. But Carolina has, uh, I mean, they needed something to get them over the hump. And I think that Max Domi is the perfect player. Like come playoff time, I think he has, he has the potential to be the guy for Carolina that you look at when it's all said and done and you go, that trade put them over the top. It allowed them to be able to protect Sebastian Ajo and uh, some of these other like be able to to roll Domi out with uh, against some uh, some different opposition and free up Ajo, free up that top line. And uh, I think we'll see that it's going to have positive benefits come playoff time. Yeah, I really loved this trade when I when I saw it come through the the wire here and Carolina picking up Max Domi to me was going to be a sneaky good trade in terms of just, you know, what he's going to do long-term for this team this year. One, because, you know, he gets to go finally go to a, a good team, right? You look at who he's played with Montreal teams that haven't really been that great. Uh, Arizona teams, you know, again, same. And, and Columbus has just been a bubble team. I mean, he's played on a lot of bubble teams, but now he gets to play with a championship caliber team for once and isn't expected to be the guy offensively on the, on a team, right? So now he gets to go into a situation where he's he's well protected, isn't looked at to be, you know, an offensive juggernaut, and especially after that 72-point season, right? I mean, there was just a lot of pressure on him to perform, especially when he showed up in Columbus. Especially and, being in Montreal and putting up 72 points. Right. <laughs> yeah, so now he gets to go to a, a Carolina team where he can literally – he doesn't have to play center either because they've got plenty exactly. of depth on, at the center position. So now he gets more opportunity to find his game. Um, you know, yes, he gets to play center on that that second power play unit right now. But again, you're not out there having to constantly win draws and important draws either in the defensive zone. Very true. Who do you have at number four? Well, my number five. You keep skipping past him. I don't know why, Man. but um, it's because I'm so used to letting you go first. That's very true. Why don't I just go f- five and four really quick? Perfect. Get out of the way. So, <laughs> at number five for me, I've got Jack Eichel from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, this is a team that is in serious danger of falling out of a playoff spot here, and mostly because again, games at hand. But for me, um, you know, again, the stats have been good for Jack Campbell this year. I mean, I don't, I don't knock him there, but sixteen and twenty-two games. I expect a little bit more, and yes, he. You know, hasn't had consistent line mates, but um, and hasn't played in over a year and had major back surgery. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but to me, I I want him to step off more from a two way game side because if this team is going to have any sort of chance at getting the playoffs, they need to split up that top line. They need to add a little depth 
as far as you know the faceoff circle is concerned, because right now they've got Chandler Stevenson, who in my opinion is their best faceoff guy. They've got him playing on the wing with Jack Eichel, and he has to, you know, Stevenson has to end up taking most of those draws. And if Eichel can sort of step it up in the faceoff circle and be a little bit more accountable defensively, then you have the opportunity to move Chandler Stevenson down to maybe your second or third line, and you don't have to rely on Nicholas Roy to be that that guy on that third line, right? You can pair a Chandler Stevenson with Matthias Janmark and get a little bit of depth, especially when you're at a, on a team that is so ravaged with injuries right now. Um, that really they need all three lines stepping up in order to continue this win streak and hopefully secure a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand feeling the need to put Jack Eichel into the offensive zone because you want him to score. Uh, but, he A, he's, I mean, his, his faceoff percentage is, is 52.9%. He's actually doing better in the faceoff circle than he ever has in his entire career. Uh Maybe that's all he could do with his back is just like practice draws. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but right now he's but, only winning three or four faceoffs a game, and that's because he's not taking that many draws, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's taken a hundred. He's this year he's taken two hundred and twenty-five draws in twenty-two games. Uh, I guess that's that's not. Yeah, I've, they're they're putting him on his on his. Uh, on his strong side to take those draws. Uh, but to me, I mean, he's starting 70% of his draws in the offensive zone. Uh, right. I, I, now, some of that, I think, is, hey, Vegas, you know, Vegas is a, a, a pretty good team, so, yeah, maybe they're not always having tons of defensive zone draws, but uh, I would think that he should shoulder some more of that defensive zone load uh, because he's talented, he can get the puck out of their zone, and uh, you know, I I have him at number three, uh, but I have him grouped with Robin Leonard. Okay. So reason being, I mean, this team's going nowhere without Robin Leonard. Well, that's assuming Leonard comes if back before come back. the end but, of the season, right? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that Robin Leonard, if he can't come back, the Vegas Golden Knights, I think, are are toast. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, I don't care if they make the playoffs. That's fine. Um, is your your top goalie going to be Logan Thompson going into the playoffs? Uh, I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. It's this this season is is shot <laughs> uh, right. unless Leonard can come back. If Leonard can come back, then uh, then we can talk. But it doesn't seem likely. Um, I just put him in there as like more or less like, bro, go like. Knock your PT out hard or something. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, Jack Eichel, he he does need to be better if they're going to make the playoffs. Now I don't blame him. You know, I, I don't I don't think that uh, I didn't necessarily expect him to come in and be a a one point two points per game player because it, it he, because of what he just went through. Uh, so I think that the the good thing is whatever happens here. He'll come back next season and he'll be ready to roll, and that's the important yeah. thing. Um, no, I agree. And a healthy Vegas team too, right? If yeah. he gets everybody back, Mark Stone on his wing, right? Then you get an opportunity to really shine. And uh, they can. Well, be you really just got to figure out year. what four players you're going to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of oh, perfect. Uh, who's your number four? <laughs> yeah, number four. I've got my first. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, my second goaltender um, and second player from the St. Louis Blues, and that is Jordan. Bingington, um, 
I, again, I, I know we talked about Jack Campbell needing to step up and be the man, but to me, I think St. Louis is even more desperate because, again, um, you know, they have to go through a lot of really good defensive teams. Um, you know, Toronto has the luxury of being to outscore anybody if they need to, right? Whereas St. Louis, I don't necessarily look at them and say this is a team that I know can go out there and put up six, seven goals a game. No, even though, not. yes, they are they are scoring a ton of goals. But, uh, you know, again, they're going to need good goaltending when they have to go through Minnesota, when you've got to eventually go through Colorado, right? These really good high-scoring teams, um, you know, and again, that's it's funny to, to group Minnesota in there because you wouldn't expect their name to be thrown in with one of the, the better top offensive teams in the West, but it turns out they, they are one sure. of those better offensive yeah. teams. So much depth. Right. And, I mean, look, through 66 games, they've got more goals than Edmonton right now, so what does that say? Um, especially Edmonton's got a 50-goal scorer here, but, again, St. Louis, you know, again, they've, they've got good depth offensively, and, you know, while they're not going to beat you 6-5 to five every single game, they still need Jordan Bingington to step up and be the guy he was when they won the Stanley Cup. I mean, because without good goaltending back there, you know, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, like I mentioned earlier, these guys are having good seasons, but they're going to be gripping the stick a little bit tighter, right? They're going to, you know, take a few steps back and not necessarily want to push in the offensive zone as much as maybe they would feel comfortable doing and maybe what this team needs them to do. So uh, when, you're, when your defense can't activate because you're so worried about the goaltending back there, that's going to be a problem for St. Louis and a team that, has got to go through some really tough defensive teams. Uh, yeah, I'm over Jordan Bennington. He's not my starter anymore. It's Billy <laughs> Huso. I mean, you would think so, right? How, but how if you, you're St. I mean, Louis, you want Jordan Bennington to step up and be that guy. Yes, you do. But I, this is this is all about Billy Huso right now. And you can, you know what? I think of the Florida Panthers. Hey, you've got your big money goaltender back there that you're going to need for the future because he's signed for so long, and that's fine. Uh, he, you let him figure it out. You're not going to try to trade him. You know that everybody, every goaltender goes through these things, and that's okay. You tell him it's it's okay. You, you don't, like, things aren't going well right now for you. We're going to figure it out in the offseason. We have to go with Billy Huso right now. And... I, to me, I think that that's what the Blues need to do, uh, just like the the Florida Panthers did. You know, just like the Vancouver Canucks, they they said, "Well, we need Corey Schneider to play because he's playing better than Roberto Luongo." And then Roberto Luongo was their starter the next year and into the playoffs the next year. Like this, this can go well. Uh, it just sometimes it happens, and I think you can you can sell it to your team, uh, like, "Hey, Huso's hot. Let's ride it." And let's see if they can bring us to, like win us some rounds and see where it takes us. And he's the guy they need to go. To. I mean, Jordan Bennington's been a disaster. Uh, you look at the last his last ten games, uh, six of them he's he's given up at least four goals. He's given up five, six, and seven, and then four goals in the other three. I, I mean, he just he has not played well, and he has not played well against offensive teams either. Like it's not like. All right, hey, come play out, kind of shooting up against a playoff team. He's playing pretty decent. No, even his last ten games, the only we'll say his last eight games, uh, the only playoff team he's actually gone against is Edmonton, and he lost in overtime. But he only played thirteen minutes of that game. Yeah, uh, let up four goals on thirteen shots. <laughs> so, Not too good. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's going up against Philly, Winnipeg, Ottawa, New York Islanders, Chicago, New Jersey. Like, they don't trust him. They're playing him against the bad teams, and they're saving Huso for Edmonton, for Carolina, for Washington. At, I mean, I think this is Huso's net. So, go ahead. Change your list. Type in V-I-L-L-E. <laughs> H-U-S-S-O. My number four is also a goaltender. Uh, Two, in fact. Both Miko Koskinen and Michael Smith. They're on my list as well. Michael W. Smith over here. Michael Uh, W. Smith. I don't know if that's his middle (laughs) name, but uh, if you listen to Christian music in the 90s, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Okay, Mike Smith. Miko Koskinen. Uh, The Oilers... There's no guarantee they're going to make the playoffs still. They are, you know, there's, yes, a few teams would need to jump them, uh, but they need to, they need to keep, keep pushing here. And to me, it's their, their goaltending is going to be what ultimately not only gets them into the playoffs, but if they're going to win rounds, it's got to be one of these two guys playing much better than they have all year. Oh, yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, look, Mike Smith started out rough. He's been okay as of late, but, uh, and same with Koskinen, he's been okay as of late. I mean, minus that shellacking in Calgary. We won't talk about that, but, uh, a lot of people get shellacked in Calgary. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, this team, I, I, I mentioned it earlier with, with, you know, with St. Louis, but as a defensive, you know, player on, in Edmonton, right, your your Darnell Nurses, your Tyson Berries, your Duncan Keiths, Cody Ceci, you mentioned it. When these guys are stepping out on the ice, they're constantly thinking about, if I fuck up, my goaltender's screwed. Like, he's not stopping the puck. There's no way we're getting a save out of this. And if that's your mindset the whole entire evening, you're not playing the type of game you re- that Edmonton really wants you to play, right? You're not going to step up. You're not going to pinch in the offensive zone maybe where you need to, right? You're going to you know, be a little bit hesitant to make that first pass out of the defensive zone, right? You might be scared that, you know, hey, if I make this pass through the middle of the ice, it's going to get, you know, picked off, and then we're 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 screwed going back the other way because everybody else is rushing down the ice. That's what Edmonton likes to do, right? They they play north and south. They go fast, and if I like you can't to go get out fast. That, yeah, we, if you're not first, you're last, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it that. That team ride and dies by that goaltending, especially after this offseason and trade deadline when Ken Holland decided to not address the goaltending issues. I mean, they've been yep. terrible last year. They were terrible last year. We knew it coming in this year, and change had to happen. It didn't happen. And so now as a defensive player, you're just you're, you're scared out of your mind to make a mistake back there, and that just changes the way you play. Yep, uh, I agree. Um, you know, we could also toss – we really could toss Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid into that. Uh, because you know, frankly, last year's playoffs, McDavid with uh, one goal and three assists, and and Drysaddle with two goals, three assists. Uh, as Bravo crazy as Winnipeg, it is though. to say, they got shut down in comparison yeah, to what Winnipeg, they would normally do. Bravo, they they figured it out. They did. Uh, I I mean, I think we're we're going to need to see them step up and be even better in the playoffs, and you know. The, maybe the one guy who should have been on our list as a key contributor for these playoffs is Evander Kane. You know, what What can he do come playoff time? He has only made the playoffs 
twice in his entire career, uh, and it's been since 1819 since he was there. You know, he put up eight points in 20 games uh, for the Sharks, but he's going to need to be good. He's going to need to keep on scoring goals for this team. I mean, he's not, you know, going to be a huge assist guy, but uh, so far he's got, what, 15 goals in like 22 games or something like that? Or, yeah, uh, when you're playing with Connor McDavid, it's hard not to score 16 goals. 16 and 30. Yeah, so, I mean, he's on like a 40-goal pace, uh, which really means in a in a seven-game series, you need him scoring probably three or four goals, and uh, they're going to need to be three or four big ones. So uh, Edmonton, a lot of pressure, much like their counterpart in the West, the Leafs. Uh, but the Leafs have had more success in the regular season this year to where you're less worried, I guess, even though their opponent's probably going to be scarier. <laughs> so, uh, let's go number three. All right. Number three for me is Eric Halla. Second line center to the Boston Bruins. Um, I know you've kind of picked on Boston already once, but uh, I'm going to go back. I was picking and... on them. No, no, no. Nick Foligno. <laughs> You're picking on Nick Foligno. But I'm going to go back and, <laughs> and pick on a guy who is expected to be even better than Nick Foligno, and that's Eric Halla. I mean, this is a guy that was essentially thrusted into a second line center role after David Krejci left. Um, you know, whether or not he's actually the guy that can handle it is is a whole nother story i mean look so far this year you played a majority of your season with taylor hall you've had you know now it seems like about halfway through the season they figured out right was not that good you figured out halfway through the season that shoot if we move pasta down to the second line and move jake DeBrusque up we can have two really good lines and it seemed like taylor hall and pasta were clicking they were playing phenomenal hockey and still are but for some reason eric college just couldn't capitalize on that success right i mean He's been playing fairly good, you know, uh, as far as a two-way game is concerned. But, you know, offensively, the numbers just haven't been there for me. And, um, you know, and again, for a team that didn't go out and really address their, you know, what seems like has been their most pressing need since David Krejci left. And that was a a decent second-line center. And maybe Charlie Coyle was initially thought to be that guy when they brought him in, you know, years back. But, you know, he he looks better suited for that third-line role. And so Eric Kala has to step up and be that guy and just, hasn't provided the production. And so what I wonder is, you know, coming down the stretch, I need more out of him because if Patisse Bergeron, Brad Marchand, if that top line just sort of fumbles a little bit and you have to rely heavily on Eric Kala to be, you know, the go-to guy with that second line, is he going to deliver? And, you know, especially when you get to play with two all-star players like Taylor Hall and David Postenock, you've got to step it up. You should be able to produce a lot more than 33 points through 60-some games. Yeah, but, I mean, outside of one season, this is his best season of his career. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, you know, that I, first I year in Vegas, he was phenomenal. Yeah, and, um, that, and I mean, yeah, and that's that's his anomaly season. That's his max Domi 72 points, right? Like, he had a 55-point season, almost 30 goals. That's not actually who he is. And he's going to put up probably 40 points by the end of the year. Uh, and for me, I, I'm, I, I guess that's more than what I would expect out of Eric Howell. However, maybe playing with who he's playing with, um, he does burden some more of the defensive responsibilities to be able to let those guys go. Uh, so there, there is that, but yeah. I, yeah. And that's the thing, right? I mean, he he on his own right when he's not playing with those two guys i don't, wouldn't expect that type of production out of him 
because again, I agree with you. He's never really been that type of offensively output kind of guy. But um, you know, again, when you're playing more than half the season with Taylor Hall and David Pasta, you should be should be doing a little bit better. So, and if this team wants to go deep in the playoffs, I mean, Hampus Lindholm might be the game changer they needed. Um, you know, to make the the difference, get him over that hump. But they're going to have to be able to roll three good lines and. And Holland's going to have to really, I mean, he's going to have to step up just a little bit more for me offensively come playoff time when they, um, you know, can't rely on that top line anymore. Yeah. Uh, either that or he's just going to have to be incredibly difficult to beat defensively. You know, exactly. like make up for make up for some of that, um, which he has been good in the faceoff circle. Not as, I mean, I, I guess – He's over fifty one percent, so it's not bad. Um, but it doesn't compare to his his like last year's at fifty five percent. Historically, he's been actually a little better in the face off circle. Um, so perhaps that's an area that he could certainly help them to get the puck in the offensive zone uh, when they have the opportunity. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, my number three is Jack Eichel and Robin Leonard. We, we've already beat them to death. Um, so we'll go to uh, my number two. You said your number three. That was your number three, right? That was my number okay. three. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't skipping you. Uh, my number two, we talked about him a little bit, but my number two is Jack Campbell. I have him up this high because I truly believe like everyone might get fired in Toronto if they don't win at least a playoff series this year. And if they win one the next series they better lose in seven kind of thing. Like they, <laughs> they, they can't just win, win a playoff series and then lose in five games and, and call it good. Um, I think they need to go on a deep run. Um, otherwise I think they might, there is a chance that they might bring in either a different head coach or a different general manager. Um, things are, I think heads will fly. Uh, you got to think that Shanahan's safe, for one more GM if he wants to bring in someone else. And uh, then then the, the pressure would be very heavy. Uh, this is supposed to be a team that's competing for the Stanley Cup, you know, based off what Shanahan said years ago and what they wanted to build. Now's their time, so they better do it. And Jack Campbell may be the most important player there, not Austin Matthews, not Mitch Marner. It might very well be Jack Campbell. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is a tremendous amount of pressure to put on to one person who's been with the team for 18 months <laughs> and a guy who's never been a true number one. Sure. Sure. But I mean, I I'd say the, the way that he's played the last 18 months, barring like a month of that, he, he is a number one goalie. He's a number one goalie. Oh, sure. He's played like it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, now if you're Toronto, he, let me ask you this, uh, you know, come playoff time. If you have to start, because again, I agree with you. I think it's crucial that they win that first round. Uh, it looks like right now they're slated to play Tampa in the first round. Would you rather them maybe dip a little bit and fall out and have to start the first round against Carolina or Florida, or would you rather them stay where they are and play against Tampa? Just just keep playing the games. Okay. I yeah. don't think I don't think you can you can't you can't go. Let's lose on purpose. There's a second you do oh, that, yeah, you're no, screwed. No. <laughs> you know. Or let's let's rest some guy. I mean, I don't have a problem with resting uh, Spezza and Simmons. I think those guys should be playing every other day, anyways. And with a with a, you know sneaky under the radar uh, last second signing here, Nick Abruzzi coming in from uh, from Harvard, 
I th- I think he's got a real shot to be something really special. So uh, I I think he's pre- I don't know if he's going to get his his have his debut tonight against the Flyers, uh, or or if it'll be here in the near future. But uh, I think th- that type of player is very important for the Leafs because they they need to be able to to give Simmons give Spezza some time. Uh, to just kind of gear up for the playoffs. I, I think you've seen it. Wayne Simmons, this is probably his last year. My guess is he retires after this year, to be honest. Um, he's, played, he's played quite bad. He's getting he's getting healthy scratched all the time. Um, he's just slow. He's <laughs> slow, yep. Yeah. And unless something really changes, unless he really goes to work, loses weight, and, you know, and, and is able to get some of that speed back, um, I mean, even his hands just don't look as good. Spets' hands are still there. Um, I think with Spezza, it's just a matter of like, just give him a little time off and, um, and have him, you know, don't have him play every night. In my opinion, that's what I would do, but he might tell you he wants to play every night and I say too bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think also Jack Campbell is, he's the key. He's the key to it all. Uh, who is your number two? My number two is the guy you mentioned earlier, and I promised we would wait to talk about, and that is Alex Lafreniere. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. He's the second most important player coming into the playoffs. I absolutely think so because, again, we, we talked about it to start this list off, how important third lines are going to be to team successes. And, uh, listen, the Rangers got lucky, and I shouldn't say get lucky. I think they traded wisely because, to me, this was a guy who I thought was going to be an under-the-radar type of move just like a max domi but he seems to have paid off even better at this point uh when they acquired andrew cop right ryan strom's gone down with injury for the last couple of games and cop has stepped in just phenomenally but it gives you flexibility right frank vetrano is another acquisition they made who has turned out extremely well um and now you're able to put him on the right wing where he actually is suited for to score some goals and it gives you the opportunity to move alex alexis um down to your third line, right? You can put him on his left wing where he's most comfortable, where he's a natural player at, and you give him that opportunity to really go out there and, and score some goals. But the reason I put him a little bit higher on this list is just because, you know, I look at his production that he's had through the course of the season. In, you know, 67 games, he's played with phenomenal players, like you mentioned, Chris Kreider. You know, only 25 points to and 13 goals, or I'm sorry, 15 goals to go for it. Um, I need more out of out of this guy. You know, I, I, I think especially if this team's going to be uh, and and granted, all 15 of those goals are even strength goals, too. So he sees no power play time at all. Um, you know, I think if this this team wants to have some have long term success in the playoffs, they need a third line that can contribute. And that's one of the reasons they they brought in Goudreau. Right. So he can be that third line guy. He was in Tampa and Philip Scheidel is is going to be Philip Scheidel. He's going to you know, bring you good third line production. And so Lafreniere has got to step it up and, and be that go-to guy in the third line. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I agree. Obviously I have him on my list. Um, part of me feels as though he is just, he's so overrated because of where he was taken in the draft <clears throat> and that really he's probably ends up being no more than a, a nice second line winger. Uh, we'll see how he actually pans out, but at the same time, the playoffs are that time where a young guy—it's a fresh season kind of deal—and some of these young players they go, "Oh, I get it," 
and then they have a pl- the playoff of their life, and then the rest of their career kind of takes off from there. So I, I do, you know, maybe that's that. Maybe that's Al- Alex Lafreniere. Uh, I I hope for his sake. I hope that it is, unless he's playing right. the Leafs. Then I hope that and, it doesn't happen. <laughs> right, and you look at you know again, Capo Caco has been out with injury, and I know there's been talks again with one of these two guys possibly getting moved. Uh, you know, it was at the deadline. They were thinking about moving one of those guys. And I think if if you're going to seize an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, this is why you should keep me. And maybe, if, especially, I, again, this is a big what if, if management's thinking this. Um, if Chris Drury's up there thinking, okay, I need to move one of these guys and bring in another piece, say we don't go far in the playoffs. Uh, this is your opportunity to give him a reason to keep you. Yep, yep, 100%. Um, okay, on to the number one. Who do you have? So I've got a tandem, uh, and you've already talked about them. But for me, I don't think there's any other tandem that's Not going to equate. Yeah, the the, the Edmonton Oilers goaltending is going to be so. I, listen, they've just got to be better, right? If if Edmonton wants to go deep, especially if you end up in a series where you you face another Winnipeg that shuts down McDavid and Drysital, right? I mean, you know, Evander Kane was brought in to help kind of alleviate that, so you don't have to pair those two superstars together and you hope to spread out the offense but if for some reason offensively they get stymied and they just can't produce you've got to have good goaltending back there right the goaltending's got to bail you out and right now i would not look back at that goaltending and say okay they're capable of bailing them out right and and what i'll say is that while you're number one i'll tandem you're asking them kind of to do something that either they have never done or in Mike Smith's case, has not really done in a long time. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's it's almost like you're it's like a grasping at straws for the Oilers, right? Like, and I think a lot of people recognize that that hey, you know, you can you can tell these guys to step it up all you want, but they're incapable. It's just you, you know, you, some people they you can try as hard as you want, and Nick Foligno is not going to be Connor McDavid. Just like the Oilers' goaltending is not going to be good. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's just, I, I just, I don't see it happen. Now, does it mean that they can't be good for a game? No, I mean, they they'll have like nice little flashes in the pan, uh, and maybe that's enough to get them through the first round. You know, beating a an, an LA. Do I think they have what it takes to beat LA? Yeah, probably. Can they beat Calgary in their present situation? No, no. I mean, Calgary's goaltending, their defense, their depth far exceeds anything the Oilers have. The only thing the Oilers have is McDavid and Dreisaitl. Let's face it, that's it. And Evander Kane helps, but uh, everything else has just kind of been what it is. It's, it isn't much different than, than what we've seen in the past. Uh, my number one is a little more like you've done it before. And and we've seen it this season, but we need to see it from a, a a huge, crazy extent. You need to go on your hottest run you've ever had, and that's Connor Hellebuck. If the Winnipeg Whoa. Jets are going to make the playoffs, Connor Hellebuck, who frankly, I mean, he's playing really well. He's won four of his last five games, and, uh, and granted, two of those games, he uh, two of those five, one of the win, one the the one loss. He allowed four goals, but he got a shutout and uh, allowed one and two goals in the other ones. Uh, he's been playing well the last five games, um, and he's won what seven of 
seven of nine. So it, it's not as if uh, or four, six of six of uh, nine. So or six of eight. Oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> it's there. Connor Hellebuck has it in him. And if the Winnipeg Jets are to make the playoffs, I mean, there, there's no other team that has a player like Connor Hellebuck who you could say, honest to God, that guy could, these last 13 games of the season, they could win 11 of them because of Connor Hellebuck. It's a stretch, sure, but if they are going to make the playoffs, he is the most important player in the league right now for any team to make the playoffs, especially with where they sit on the outside looking in. They've, they've got one game in hand on Vegas and Dallas has three games in hand on them. They're four points back. Like there's the, the math is against them, but I think if they were to win 10 of their last 13 games, that would put them at 96 points. 96 is that enough to get them in? I don't know. That might and we might be seeing in the west 100 points is what you need to get into the playoffs. Ooh. They're pretty close, maybe 98. But anyways, uh 10 10 wins out of their last uh 13 games would put them at 96 points, which in general has gotten you into the playoffs. Can can Connor Hellebuck help this team go 10 and 3 in their last 13 games? He'd be the he'd be the one that has to do it. Yeah, the one thing I will say for Winnipeg, right, and maybe why I didn't put Connor Hollebuck or anybody really from Winnipeg on my list is the fact that I think as a team collectively, everybody needs to play at their best, right, because they are so far out of the playoffs right now uh, in terms of, you know, remaining games and the points there. They're behind Dallas and and Vegas right now. Um, They really need everybody to play at their their most elite levels that they've had, right? I mean – you, if, if there's any time to be in playoff mode, it is right now, right? You want guys stepping up. Uh, you want your Shifleys, your Blake Wheelers. You want those guys playing at a point-per-game production. And you need Hollebuck stepping up with, like, 925 save percentages every single night at least. So I'm thinking, um, like, 9-4, 9-5. It might, yeah, might be, <laughs> might be needed, right? Um, because, again, the hole they've dug themselves into early in the season. And, uh, you know, lately it, it looks like, these guys have been kind of doing that they've been stepping up and where you kind of hope they would have been at the beginning of the year and um look i to me i i don't disagree with you i think that's a, a well-chosen number one and a guy that i won't argue with on anybody's list but he's your boy uh, yeah I, <laughs> I i still think he's you know a quality top 10 goaltender but um i just think again as a team and as a whole i think there's just so many players on this team i could pick and maybe that's why i had a hard time putting them on my list but Again, not going to fault you for doing it. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's our, uh, what, top 10 players that need to pick it up. There you go. Uh, We will uh, will be back soon. You can find us on Twitter, at OT Hockey Talk. Until then, Justin, have a good rest of your weekend. And uh, to our listeners, enjoy all the hockey. We'll talk to you later.